hold its blue. It's Wednesday, and you know what that yep. means. It's August 26, 2020. This is your Rare Encounter, Episode 7, or Encounter 7. Encounter 7, yeah. I like yeah. that better. Yeah, I like the, uh, the that, uh... More badass. Yeah, I just gotta tweak the... I'm gonna be tweaking this stupid noise gate setting all night. Uh, so I could finally get the hardware noise gate in, and as soon as I put it in, I found out there was a dirty power problem. I get dirty power in this apartment. So I had to go find a power conditioner, because when I switched back to outboard gear, uh, I uh, got corrupted by the analog signals flying through the air. And uh, I found out that you, the playout system was going through a unbalanced uh, channel, and so I had to get a balance cable for that, and it was just a nightmare. But I think uh, that aside, I think I could just tweak this knob if it, if it starts cutting me off in the wrong way, and uh, we should be good. Speaking knobs, eh? Yeah. We were just talking uh, before the show, I said we should bring it up uh, about uh, soundboards for uh, uh, software. And I haven't, personally, I've never seen a good one. I've seen, the ones that I've seen I liked were basically HTML uh, or, you know, JavaScript. Yeah, HTML, I would be dating myself. Uh, they were, you know, just websites that you Flash. go to and you click on the buttons. Yeah, the flash soundboards, like the like the Schwarzenegger one. Yeah, like that. that. Used to be used for radio station crank calls. Welcome to Ani's Pizza. Well, that was a different one. Someone made a soundboard out of that. Who is your daddy, and what does he do? <laughs> Get to the chopper. The uh, the thing is, they don't all have the correct behavior. Uh, even the the ones that I've seen, even this the road board that I have now doesn't have all the parameters I want. Like, you want instant retrigger on some samples, and uh, it doesn't do round robins, which is another feature that some, um, like my software sampler will do. So if I had, um, I don't know, five or six clips that were, you know, uh, complementary to each other, I can have it so it'll play a random one of the five. And so you can really have, you know, if you had a machine gun sound or a gunshot sound, you could have five different samples of it or two or three different samples. So you can hit it and it alternates uh, between samples or randomly selects them. So you don't get this, you know, machine gun effect is what they call it. I can't do it on this board. I can hear the gate clicking in in my, uh, when I'm breathing now. Yeah, I just click that all the way down. Well, that's what it's going to be. But uh, I've been thinking we should just make something in Python. Because it, it's not that hard. I mean, you can load the file and uh, save a config that's going to, you know, set up uh, which button controls what sound, and, and then you can program it to do whatever you want. And it seems like that's the uh, the way to do it. Well, I had some uh, I had some whole ideas about uh, about one that would let you even search through a whole catalog that you have. That'd be useful for, say, Hog Story with all the clips that John Fletcher has. Oh, yeah. But also... But also lets you just like click the button or tap the screen to play particular ones that you have preset. Yeah, right now I have a collection of. Th that's something that we do need is like a, a library for sound clips. Uh, the, when I say we need it, I mean it's a it's a outstanding. Need. I don't think everyone realizes they need it, but if you do have to manage a bunch of sound clips, uh, 
you're going to need a library for that. And I, I think Adam Curry has his ultra search, uh, whatever his uh, system is called. That seems to work well for him, but I, it seems yeah, like I'd it like could be done better. Right now, I have, a, I have a sample folder with the samples for today, which is not much. And uh, actually, I put most of them that I wanted on the board. Oh, my God. Well, that was from last week. God. But uh, then everything else, after I use them, they get put inside the, uh, the uh, archive folder. So I just have a big folder that's full of, it's going to be full of 100, 200 WAV files pretty soon. Not my chin, not my problem. That's what I say. I've got a, I've got an MPCHC playlist and a couple of tabs. Yeah. Well, I did get a clip of uh, something you might find interesting. Oh. I got a uh, notice after looking around on Twitter. I found out that one of the shows we've been watching, Peter Grill, actually yeah. got an English dub. Oh no. Yeah, and it was new too. It uh, the the first English dub dubbed episodes came out just before our last episode, and so they were out the last time we recorded. But I didn't know they existed yet. I didn't even know I had a dub, let alone to look for it, or or who had the uh, the license. But I did get. I only got like one clip from it, which was here's Peter's uh, voice in English. How dare they treat a princess? How no, dare that's they not treat that a one. Princess like this. I gotta label my things better. I think what it was. What kind this of one. deviant sicko do you take me for? Yeah. What kind of deviant <laughs> sicko do you take me for? So, not too bad, but still. Yeah. It was. Um, I won't say they got the rolled out the A list for it, but they did release four episodes dubbed. Um, and it's being simulcast on uh, a service that I didn't know existed, uh, but it's called, uh, I put it in my notes, High Dive. Have you ever heard of this? Oh, I've heard of Yeah. I never, I, I was vaguely aware there's some new anime streaming sites out there, that I, uh, like commercial streaming, and I just didn't know what the names were. So this one uh, I looked at, and I went through their catalog. Have you looked at their site at all? No, I just know they exist. Yeah, so they bill themselves as the uncensored uh, anime streaming site. And what's interesting is when you go on there, uh, you can choose between, usually you can choose between audio streams, but you can also choose the video streams. And so on some shows, they'll have the broadcast version, the broadcast version with uh, uh, translated things on screen. Then they'll have the home video version. And, uh, and all these different permutations that you can choose from. So on some shows, it looked like they had six or so different video streams you can choose, as well as the audio. You can choose between the, uh, the subtitled or, uh, or dubbed audio, which is pretty interesting. I just popped open their site. They're also uh, a lot cheaper than Crunchyroll. Yeah. I did the 30-day uh, the free trial, obviously, so I could do research. And they have a bunch of exclusives. Um, the exclusives are, let me run, I made a list of the ones that I thought were, uh, were the funniest. So we had Queen's Blade, they have Psyche No Quasar, they have Girls Und Panzer, they had Space Runaway Eden, which was a classic, that was from the 70s, I think, Arm Troopers Votoms, they had the Cobras, they had five different Legend of the Galactic Hero series all on their, uh, exclusive list. So, yeah. It seems like they have, uh, a target market in mind, which is basically me. So I thought that was fun. Yeah, this definitely looking up my alley. Yeah. They had... Um, oh, they've got Frozen Maiden. Maiden yeah, Desu. They got that, and they had... Uh, what else? They had some garbage on there, like Kempfer, 
Like, who the fuck wants to watch Kempfer, let alone in 2020? Like, no one wanted to watch it when it came out, but I did. It was, it was one of those train wreck shows. Uh, but yeah, this looks uh, interesting. I actually went yeah. on and I saw they had Cross Ange was the, uh, the show I was watching last night on it. And I watched that when it came out. It, do you remember that one at all? It was about no, the, the blonde... No, I didn't watch that one, I don't think. It was uh, probably the most misogynistic show that was out that season. And it was billed as... I think the, the, uh, the joke was that it was... Of, the genre was, was princess humiliation. Because the whole show was just watching uh, the, uh, her get beat up and, and uh, put down by everyone around her. It was just kind of like misery porn. But the, the premise is that she's a princess, like a, like a bona fide princess, in, in a world where every human has magical powers. And so, by logical uh, uh, deduction, you conclude that if you don't have magical powers, you're not human. And if you're not human, you're a normie. Or they call them normas. So she literally gets arrested for being a norma. And they send her off to some prison where she has to learn to fight, you know, dragons and mechs. And, and so it turns into an action show. But the, uh, I think I clipped some of the English language for it so we could get the, uh, some idea of what the, uh, kind of tenor of the first episode was. Under the Norma Let's Control Act, Article 1, Section 3, I designate this Norma number 120377. Take it away. Sir! The princess was deceiving us! You deserve it. You deserve it! Mother! So it's very dramatic. She was what? found. She was a normie or a Norma. And then I had the one of her clips from later on. How dare they treat a princess like this? <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I never well, finished yeah. it when it came out. Normie I should be dragged away. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was fun. I, I watched a couple episodes when it came out, and I saw it on there on uh, the streaming site. Jeez, should go and take another look at that. And I am proud to report it is just as bad as it, as it was back then. Uh, what a slut. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so I'll be keeping an eye on that. And uh, unfortunately, I did do uh, some comparisons. I went back through the, uh, getting back to Peter Grill. The options that they had for streaming were, they only had the broadcast version. What they call the broadcast version looks like it's, um, I think it's the t is it Tokyo MX did the censored uh, stream or the the censored uh, uh, broadcast of it. It's not the uh, the late night one. Oh, so, unfortunately, that's all that's available. But there is promise. Uh, I went down through the uh, the list of a couple of these. Uh, all the ones I named, like Queen's Blade and everything, are obviously uh, the uh, the etchy kind of shows that were. Highly popular, at least at one point. I remember Queen's Blade. I never got into it, but I remember getting post posted about online a lot for various reasons. Yeah, I remember seeing a lot of uh, a lot of uh, art posts about it on Twitter. Oh yeah, yes, I'll be keeping an eye on that. As far as I can tell, the uh, I oh actually I put a a link to the uh, in my sh in my notes. I'll send you some links for the show notes that have the. Uh, there's an anime news network story talking about uh, Peter Grill, and then uh, there's a uh, link to High Dive, the actual episode. So I did the 30-day trial. I'm not going to endorse it yet, but so far it's been uh, looks promising. Looks more promising than Crunchyroll. 
Well, yeah, definitely. If they're if they're the uncensored, uh, if they're in the uncensored streaming service, then definitely that's a that's a definite win against uh, Crunchyroll. Yeah, and it, it's not just that. It, they also have like Azumanga Dio. They had Big O. They Clanad on there. They got Golgo thirteen. Yeah, they got everything. Except for I didn't see like Hari. That would be the one, the killer one that I wish they had that that I didn't see on the list. But yeah. oh well. Oh, they have, have Junibio. Oh yeah, that that was the only um, Kyoto Animation one I I noticed on there. I guess it was Klanog Kyoto Animation. No, I don't um, think so. It was Key, but I don't know who did the animation. Ah well, no matter. So I heard you on uh, the Hog Story podcast. Yep. Yeah, it was kind of fun. I want to oh, say definitely. congratulations that your podcast is now streaming on the No Agenda stream. Yay! We are we are now. <laughs> yeah. It only t- it only took uh, so much arm twisting on Sir Emrose. Yeah. The uh, he's actually been pretty good this whole time. The campaign of getting a live stream uh, kind of fell flat this weekend. I went and did a little bit of research, so I got there. I think we're we're gonna end up with Ice Cast. That's what I thought we were gonna do, but I was looking into how it was done, and I was looking at. My main concern is I don't want to run a server on the same computer that I'm uh, streaming from or that I'm uh, recording on. And so I have to set it up on a server over my server closet, and I'm not quite ready to do that now. And I was actually looking. I have a one of those Synology uh, network-attached storages. I think it's Synology. I, th- I always called it Synology, and I heard on Grumpy Old Ben's it was Darren O'Neill kept changing how he pronounced the name, so now I'm not sure anymore. But I was going to see if there's a way I can get that to uh, kind of buffer the stream on a separate piece of hardware and then see how much throughput I can get so we could set up our own stream for uh, for live to play and test with and everything. Yeah, I got us a bump on No Agenda as well. Yeah, I heard that. Actually, that's how I found out we were on the No Agenda stream was I was listening to No Agenda and I heard the uh, the comment uh, way at the end. So I heard your, your note and then I heard the... Uh, the, I think it was a mention at the end of the show from uh, all the new shows that were going to show up. So it was ABS and a six-pack. <laughs> yeah, abs and a six-pack. And then Rare Encounters. Six-pack. Apparently we're plural now. Yeah, not to yeah we got pluralized. It. Yeah. But on uh, Hog Story, I went and took down a couple notes about what uh, Fletcher was talking about. Organs and the guy with the Furby organs. And so I took a look at that i didn't pull any clips for the show but um one of the things that i i was surprised anyone cared about the color bits on here because uh, we did a like a quick mention of of uh, color calibrating color monitors and so i decided to do a little research project for rare encounter and i went and bought a data color spider x pro which is a it's like a photo diode that you, you, it's a USB device that you attach to the front of your monitor and you run a program that cycles through different RGB values for, you know, a test patch on the monitor and it measures the, uh, the, the uh, amount of light being emitted by it and it uses uh, some algorithm to compute the color profile for that monitor so you can get it calibrated. And so that's in the mail oh. and that's going to be a little, I'll, I'll, See if I can calibrate at least the two monitors in front of me and walk through it and see if I can learn a little more about how these things work. 
But it sounds pretty straightforward. It sounds like it's my guess of how to calibrate a monitor would be the same way you, you know I'd level any kind of um, any kind of you know oh, no, power source or something. How much it cost you? Oh, how much it cost? Um, it was a hundred. I think it was just under one hundred seventy dollars. So it's not. Yeah, it's a little out there. But then, I've always wanted one of these. And it's always been something I've been interested in, and I never had a great excuse. Now I have an excuse, and I had uh, some money on my uh, Amazon gift card, so I, I decided to just pull the trigger. So there, look forward to that. I don't want to bring up color or anything on this episode, but I do want to do, uh, hopefully by next episode, I can have a little, uh, maybe a review. We can talk about something uh, a little more esoteric, too, when we do that, like the perception of color. I got a little esoteric to talk about. Yeah, what do you got? Speaking of stuff, speaking of stuff to buy, I was actually looking at uh, some old Nortel hardware uh, because some of their some of their uh, call processor systems used Motorola CPUs. Hmm. And meanwhile, to get a to get a sixty eight oh sixty, you're generally looking at several hundred dollars just for the processor, and some some of these uh, processor or some of these call processors Nortel did has one of those and you can find them for under two hundred dollars. Huh. So I'm thinking I could buy I could buy this and have myself my own sixty, or I could resell the chip. So long as it's the so long as it's the right re- chip revision, that'll be useful to others. It's, so what's so special about this chip? I'm not familiar with this at all, other than. I don't know, it's vaguely telecom-related. Well, for people who want to have old hardware Amigas, it's about the best processor you can have without uh, without going for, like, an FPGA-based replacement. Oh, that's the, the processor, like the 80... Uh, all I can think of was, like, the 8008. Uh, they had a series... Yeah, so you're talking about, like, these old-generation, like, 16-bit uh, CPUs? Well, no, the... I mean, the uh, the original 68K uh, was still 32-bit on the inside, just 16-bit on the outside, and then from the 20 onwards, it was uh, pure. It was pure 32-bit all the way through. The 608060 is about uh, comparative to the old Pentium chip, actually. Hmm. So, in terms of modern processing, it's a uh... A snail? It's still retro tech. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Are you going to... So, you said you might sell it, but are you going to... Uh, what would you want to put it in? You'd want to put it in an old computer? You have a, a project yeah, I, you're working I, on? I want to pick up, like, uh, an Amiga 1200 and a uh, and a Warp 1260 card. Throw the throw the 680-60 into it, and, and there I go. Unfortunately, the uh, Amiga hardware itself is even harder to come across these days. I've never actually got to use one of those, like the Amiga computers. I've seen them, but you know, it was never in I my. I uh, just emulate these days because yeah, it's next to impossible to get a hold of one. I think the first computer I used, I don't remember. I remember it ran MS DOS. Um, it was like DOS. Uh, I, don't rem- I remember vaguely there was a... Ver- I remember uh, at one point 
we got Windows 3, I think it was 3.1 installed on it when I was a kid. And so you could it boot it into DOS, and then you could type, uh, I think you typed Windows or Win or something, and then it would open up. And then you could play with the mouse, but most of the games I was running ran out of DOS anyway. So running Commander Keen, Commander Keen 4, Commander Keen 6. Yeah, apart from the it's apart mouse from games. the Commodore 64 that I used at my grandparents, uh, first PC that I ever had access to was like a 8088 system. Yeah, there's the chip and I was thinking of, the 8088. I it up. I almost was going to say the IG88 earlier. I said that's something else. Yeah, that's a that's a killer uh, that's robot. That's a Star Wars thing. Yeah. Anyway, I learned I learned why F disk is abbreviated that way. It's not because it's fixed disk. It's because it's fuck disk. Hmm. Was this and that's uh, what I did. This is from back in the day. Oh yeah, I was probably seven or eight at that time. <laughs> I I could do I could do all sorts of crap with the C sixty four. At that point, I was I was programming on the 64. Yeah, there you go. But, uh, but on a PC, totally different story. Sounds like you're a little uh, further ahead than I was. I think you're a little older than me, too, so that's gang to be expected, well, I guess. I'm but... like 37. Yeah, you're a little bit. I'm 30. Ah, uh, yeah. You're just you a, a kid. A couple of years on me. <laughs> yeah, I was born in 90. Damn. Well, I was thinking about, in terms of retro tech, especially because I had this hardware uh, a hardware compressor pulled out now for the uh, noise gate, which I turned off because <laughs> I can't get the threshold. Uh, it has a detent threshold, and one's too hot and one's too cold. But uh, I was thinking about what it would take to make a podcast using just analog equipment and without a computer. I was thinking, well, how would we do the audio I don't know. We'd probably just have a phone, uh, like a regular old phone call system. So I was, I want to do an experiment too sometime and just try and do a phone call and see if the audio quality is uh, significantly uh, worse than Skype. I think I don't know if phone bill could handle that. Yeah. Well, it'd be a long distance call, but I think it'd be worth it to check out just to uh, see how bad or good the, the sound quality was. And try recording onto wax. You did? No, I'm saying maybe that's what we should try. Oh, yeah. Well, did you ever hear the, uh, they had some old recordings of people, uh, doing, uh, they were the Civil, American Civil War, um, it was like Confederate yells or something like that, and they were just the, uh, the rebel yells recorded onto wax cylinders. They found, they had these cylinders around, uh, close enough to the to the the end of the war that they uh, they actually found some old soldiers who were still around like old confederate soldiers they had them yell into the the horn and it got recorded onto wax so that's that's in one of these museums or one of these collections of old uh, recordings i think that one got digitized and it's set i wish i had that website bookmarked because i'd bring it up and try and play it on the show there's some like just cool old stuff on wax yeah but the most retro I ever got is I actually produced some music uh, completely using analog processes, and it's not the and I, I and I actually mastered it on it too, and so I was mastering with um, hardware compressors and hardware uh, EQs and things like that. The thing that got me 
was that if you wanted to tweak a setting and then uh, what you ended up having to do was reprint the whole track if you wanted to listen to it again or if you wanted to hear if you wanted to scrub to a different part you know you had to uh, rewind the tape I w and uh, you know it wasn't instant like now you can just click inside a window and say oh listen to it here listen to it here oh I want to rewind it and listen to it again okay you just click a button and it jumps your uh your time code jumps to zero 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 and you can hit play and, and start from the beginning and, and that was the maddening part of it uh it wasn't that i had to use knobs instead of uh instead of digital settings because uh, that was easy it's easy to turn knobs they're actually a little uh, simpler to use than you know software control panels they're hide behind windows and everything but the thing that got me was you can't instantly replay anything also, if you want to render the track, you have to do it in real time. You know, there's no such thing as render. You just print. So you print something to, uh, to the output. But, so I did that once. Never again. No, I can, I can imagine. In, uh, in our case, though, we don't need to scrub back and forth. If we want to do a podcast that was all analog, <laughs> that's like a, an art uh, project more than anything. How dare they treat a princess like this? <laughs> what a slut! With this garbage. With this garbage. Yeah, oh, was... yeah. There's, so, there's something else. There's something else I wanted. Like I've been dealing with something for work lately that's been driving me nuts. Driving me nuts. So, so for the last uh, almost a week now, I've been dealing with trying to figure out some problem that should not have been happening. It was like. I guess you call it a Heisen bug because it's like <laughs> it. <laughs> it's one of these intermittent. Sounds like it's one of these intermittent problems where uh, you know it only happens when you turn sideways and scratch your head. No, it only happens when you observe it. Ah. But anyway, like I was, I spent most of a week trying to figure this out and doing all sorts of things, and no matter what, it wouldn't work. And then today, all of a sudden. It started working again. So it's like a week of hacking, hacking, hacking. How is this going to work? How is this going to work? My code my code isn't working, and I have no idea why. Five minutes later. Five minutes. My code is working, and I have no, re no one reason why. Ah. I think we it's call like, that an unconfirmed yeah, failure. Changes? No, it's just all of a sudden it started working properly again. So when I was in software test... That was what we would call a unconfirmed failure, and that was a big deal. That was one of the worst things that could happen is if you had something changed, something broke, and then it fixed itself, and no one could explain why, because that was a showstopper. Um, I we... couldn't even explain why it wasn't working in the first place. I still can't explain why it started working. Jeez. Yeah, it's just really freaky. There's a... Well, I, it was a story I wish I could tell. I can't tell it on the podcast, but it was a similar sort of situation that eventually we, we figured it out, but it was a uh, embedded piece of embedded software that wasn't doing what it should have been doing. I have a sneaking suspicion that it had something to do with uh, Dynamic Proxy and our, our uh, inversion of control container. I don't know what the fuck that means. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck that means either. How dare they treat a princess like this? What is this garbage? Yeah, so the so the inversion of control container, also known as an IOC container or a DI container, 
it's a way of having all the different parts uh, set up in a way that you can just say, I want whatever implements this, and then it'll provide it to you so you don't have to hard code a particular implementation. So let me ask you a question, because I have no context for some of this. What kind of okay. programming are we talking about? Is this programming for uh, data mainframes and servers? Or it's Obviously, it's not commercial, uh, like uh, consumer software programming. It's not, it's not uh, consumer, no. It's for membership management platform. I still don't know what that means. So it's for, it's for something where, where people can provide their information, but it still has to be vetted before it goes into the actual member files. Okay, so it's like an in, um, commercial software for businesses? Some no, no, no. It's, comple it's completely internal for our organization. But you can think of it as kind of like, uh, kind of like CRM, but not exactly. Okay. Well, I know what CRM is. It's uh, you're talking about customer relationship management. Yeah. Sure. So it's like a uh, database for your different members. And there's some valid. You're saying there's some validation phase that that you're working on to make sure the data yeah. is right before it goes in the database. Yep. And that that's what was going wrong. Stuff it was getting stuff was getting validated that shouldn't have been. Aha. Uh -huh. And we couldn't figure out why. It just the validators themselves were, were invalid. <laughs> yeah. I guess you could say that. How dare oh, they just, treat a princess like this? I'm gonna keep hitting that all night. Yeah. Great. Now I'm a princess. Yeah. Where's my uh, pony? What a slut. <laughs> I wish I was. Oh boy, I got a nice magnetic feel going on. Um, I was saying earlier I had dirty power, so uh, I uh, I went and got a power conditioner, and uh, I actually had to change my chair because I I started stacking this rack mount stuff underneath my monitor, and so now it's about four inches higher <laughs> than it was when I started, and so I had to get a little bench so I could. I was thinking of getting a standing desk if I get a couple more pieces of equipment. I won't need one; just be able to stand. Yeah. But uh, this power conditioner, man, the transformer has got a pretty good magnet in it, because I can put. I hope I don't. Have, I don't have any regular hard drives up here. I've got an SSD drive on it. It's a good thing it's not a, a regular hard drive, because it'd be sitting right on top of the magnet. Yeah. You can't have that like further away from all your stuff. Well, I thought. Uh, I I could. I actually have some. Uh, I get some. What are they called? Nineteen-inch racks. Speaking of Queen's Blade, and. The uh, the thing is, they're all in disarray. So I got one over to my left. Yeah, whatever. I got a deal. I what I have to do is break them down and put them back together because they're set up for the studio I had in Colorado. And so it has like the compressor in there is like an eight channel compressor for all the mic preamps, and I don't want to do the podcast with it. So I have to take that out and then put the the shit I have here in there. But it also has all my effects shit in it, so I can have like reverb and. Vocode. I have a hardware vocoder. Do some real-time uh, auto-tune kind of stuff. Ah, well, now I'm just rambling about my audio stuff. I don't think anyone cares about that. I've been but, thinking about getting a rack cabinet here. Oh, yeah. They get, they get expensive. Oh, I know. And in fact, uh, the, the That's cheapest That's the main one, reason I don't have one. Yeah, I got uh, two from a vendor... Geez, I bought them through Guitar Center because for 
at the time they matched the price and, and I could get it delivered to the Guitar Center. Um, but they, I can't remember, I think it was Raxus made them. Uh, it was like R-A-X-X-A-S or something. But they're a regular 19-inch rack, but they have a 10-degree tilt, so the front panel of it kind of tilts back. It's not, you know, a, a straight column. It has a little bit of a slant to it. It makes it easier to get some. So the, the, uh, the items in the rack are actually kind of tilted forward slightly, or tilted back, I, I should say. But you can get a 10U. I think it's a 10U rack. Yeah, I don't think it was that much. I mean, compared to if you go online and you try and get one from... Um, oh, God. What's the company that makes the... We, I bought them for work. And we've spec'd them out for work before. And yeah, you can you can design a rack uh, that costs uh, thousands of dollars if you want by the time you put doors on it and cooling fans and all the different things like before you put a single piece of equipment inside it you very have a couple thousand dollars worth of uh, closet yeah well i'm looking at this uh i'm looking at the 15 unit one 24 inch depth and it's and it's like uh 330 bucks one canadian which one uh were you looking at was it one that came up is sisrax oh sisrax I'm looking, I'd want like a 19-inch, right? Hot cis racks in your area. Yeah, they're nice that's to have. completely different. That's what, uh, that's what the fjords are for. Fjords. Is that how you say it, fjords? Yeah. Oh, here's a nice-looking one. Nice-looking rack? Enclosed and everything. <laughs> what a slut! Nice-looking rack? Yeah. 18-unit, uh, 19-inch, 315 bucks. That sounds about I think it's on casters. Yeah, it's on casters. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty nice. Yeah. That's nice to have around. Oh, yeah, definitely. Especially, I, I went up, and the reason I own, you know, outboard audio processing equipment is because it was so cheap. You would look around, and I was I was going to all the used music stores, and... Uh, you just see it. It was like, hey, thirty bucks for this, forty bucks for that. Like, ah, sure, yeah, I can use an eight-channel compressor. Give me that one. You had uh, all this stuff because everyone's moving to digital. Uh, the whole market space for prosumer audio has has gone to basically VST plugins instead of, um, you know, external hardware. And the stuff that is external hardware is really boutique, like um, like if you go to the modular synthesizer. Uh, community and you look at oh we're, we're gonna have a an effect where i'm gonna actually have control voltages i'm gonna route around and you know where you have capital s synthesizers you know stuff that doesn't have a keyboard with it it's uh i'm gonna control everything with oscillators with plugging in patch cables between everything the uh the cost the price of those things is enormous just to get into that field it's like you have to be some you know independently wealthy it, it seems like to uh to be able to afford it all but it looked like a great grift though there was a guy when i was at knobcon uh last time i was up in the chicago area they had uh booths there you know like you go to the convention there's you know artist alley or whatever they have the their booths and they're selling their stuff where there was a couple boutique vendors and they had um their own effects that they made and it was like some guy had i think they were like tuna fish cans so we had like tuna fish cans with a TRS connector on it, and inside it had you know like a diode or something like that. And so, oh, it's it's a clipper, and he's selling it for like fifty bucks. It's like, holy crap! 
<laughs> this is a scam I need to be... Well, I shouldn't call it a scam. You know, it's, it's just boutique. I just don't understand it. But... That means... You know... Oops. That shouldn't have both played. Oh, uh, well. How dare they treat a princess like this? Yeah, I just meant to play this. This is a scam. I don't know what the fuck that means. Oh, it did it again. Damn it. <laughs> All right. We need a yeah, design... We need a proper soundboard. Here's what we could do is if... Uh, if we did a soundboard, I wonder if we could do one with a remote control. That would be dangerous, though. But uh, it's a dangerous. Python soundboard where you could trigger a sound over the internet to... Uh... Actually, we could probably do that now because, honestly, I have a MIDI over uh, MIDI over IP uh, system I can just turn on, and it plugs right into my DAW. So, honestly, that's something we could probably do. <laughs> Give you a soundboard that plays clips on my computer. Yeah, but here, here's what I was originally thinking for my soundboard too, is that well, I've got a I've got a Surface Pro, right? Right. Uh, I bring it around whenever I'm out of the house. Usually, if I'm going to be away for a, a day or longer, and what I figured I could do is use it as my soundboard. I plug a cord in from the from the headphone jack on it into the line in on my desktop and then I'd be able to use the touchscreen to just tap the buttons to play the clips and feed it right into this computer. Hmm. Who's calling my phone? Reject call. Yeah, I'm up for uh, I think we could be the premier research and develop podcast research and development operation. Find out the, uh, the most esoteric way to have a podcast. Yeah, with uh, wax recordings <laughs> <laughs> over the phone phone podcast and smoke, well we got to do smoke signals touch screen touch screen, uh, touch screen uh, soundboards over the internet i don't know maybe maybe not just the most esoteric but also the most eclectic <laughs> jeez then the trick would just be streaming it i guess i could broadcast yep. i don't have any damn broadcast equipment anymore I used to have a set of modulators there that I could broadcast. Now, I couldn't do an FM radio station, but I could do a TV station with no picture and just the podcast audio. But I don't have that equipment anymore. My, I think I left it at home, and my dad either threw it out or something. Get a ham license. I don't like this. I have a problem with ham licenses in that I don't want to spend a bunch of money to... Uh, I, I know it's not a bunch of money, but it's like an investment, uh, and then you can't go and swear on it. Meanwhile, I feel like I could, if I, I mean, I realize I haven't done this yet, and it's it's a, still a to-do on my to-do list, which is get a stream up, but once I have that, then I can say whatever I want, and I don't have to worry about protocols, and rules, I can just talk. Yeah. And that, and, I don't know, he's, I do enough stuff with, you know, microwave radio in my real life that, it's kind of funny, there's people I've known who are hams, but I, it's just... I did experimental radio tests, so we had stations before. They had uh, call signs and all that, so I was working on those, but they weren't, you know. It's it's not an interest I had, you know, the, having my own radio. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> what a slut! So back to uh, Hog Story. They, they had the uh, Furby uh, organ on there. Mm -hmm. Did you ever get to look that up? No, I didn't get around to it. Well, I found that that one's going to make the list for uh, speaking of esoteric things. We had a, 
a list, and for the life of me, I, I got the partial list that I'll put in the show notes for a list of organ stops. And if you're not familiar with organ stops, the organ stop is just one set of the sounds that an organ can make. It's kind of like the patch you can turn on if you do synthesizers. And so the thing to do back in the day, I'm talking about the old days of organ music, um, like box era, and they had uh, people construct organs and then they would have, oh, we can have a pipe that's uh it has some certain kind of flu inside, so it makes a certain sound. Oh, and they would say, oh, it sounds like a, a string section or it sounds like a, a wind instrument. And so they would name all the ranks after what they were, uh, what they sort of sounded like. You know, they didn't quite sound like it. And so they had this massive number of different ways to build organ ranks. I think that's what they're called, organ ranks or, or organ stops. And there was a list of all the weird esoteric ones, and I found part of the index, but I can't find it. it the, the book I was looking for was actually on Project Gutenberg, and I couldn't friggin' find it. I was looking for it, but I found a partial list that has some of the just random stuff on there, and I'm going to put that in the show notes, but it has uh, some kind of spooky sounds on... Uh, let me try and click onto one of these. Oh, and then we'll have the question of if uh, Firefox's audio is going to go through Skype, but we'll find out. Do you hear any of that? I heard a little bit. Hmm. Ah, well, I won't play the other ones then. Unfortunately, that's an oversight. I, I've, uh, my play out from, uh, from an MP3 will go to, to you, but this one won't. But I'll put it in the show notes so you, if anyone wants to, they can click through it. But it's a list of hundreds and hundreds of the different kinds of organ stops. And they're all named after different instruments and different stupid things. They even have some that are... Um, some. I saw someone was making organ stops that were like percussion sets. You know how you have on some of the old, like old Casio keyboards, you had a, a sound set you could switch to that was like a drum kit? Yeah, I remember that. They had those for organs. And so some organs, uh, that, that was a, a stop thing. I, I think you call it a stop that you could buy. And so they'll install it in your uh, your organ at home, I guess, where you can map the control voltages from the console to the uh, to play a snare drum, a kick drum, a set of cymbals. But they're not sampled. They're actually real cymbals with articulating, you know, uh, sticks that are going to hit them. So that was the pinnacle of some of these the old, uh, some old technology, like they, they used to be powered by steam. And so you had to have a bunch of people or they were, before they were powered by steam, they were powered by bellows and you had to have people pumping the bellows, uh, in order to play it. So it like took a team. Good work for young boys at the time. Yeah. The triangle, well, I wish I, I won't bother playing it cause you can't hear it. There was a couple on here that sounded kind of cool. Oh, well. But the Furby thing reminded me of that. It's like about the uh, about the obelisk, you know, in uh, in uh, what's it called, Australia? The obelisk. Yeah, I'm lost. What's the obelisk? Uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020, and the 212 floor building in Melbourne. You didn't hear about that? <clears throat> no. So somebody made a mistake entering data into uh, OpenStreetMap 
as part of a post-grad program they were doing. And it ended up stating that a, a particular building in uh, Melbourne was 212 stories instead of just two. And before that could be corrected, uh, OpenStreetMap's data all got slurped to feed into Flight Simulator 2020. Aha! <laughs> uh, Somebody went flying th through Australia in the in Flight Simulator, and here's this big black obelisk in the middle of uh, in the middle of a city. <laughs> right? You're waiting for the uh, burn like that. Uh... What's that song? Dun 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 dun. The Space Odyssey music. Yeah. Whatever the name yeah. of that track was, I can't remember. Yeah. It's Strauss, I believe. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. That's funny. You know, that's what you get for uh, for having someone type in a bunch of. Uh, I guess I don't know. There's anytime a person has to enter. Well, you know this. You do this. You said you're doing uh, input validation. Anytime a human has to touch a keyboard or do anything in particular, there's a finite chance they're going to do it wrong, no matter where you are and how well-trained they are. You could be the uh, the best guy at NASA, but if you tell him to type in a list of uh, of numbers on a, into a computer, you can still screw it up, even if you did it right for 20 years. It's just the way we're wired, I guess. Not infallible. No. Some of I that, wouldn't mind being infallible, but it would make life a lot more boring. I could be foul-mouthed. Does that count? No. Oh. There was a, a bit... Um, I think it was... Was it Grumpy Old Ben's doing location data? It all blurs together to me, because I just kind of listen... I listen to some of these in the background. But there's a... They were talking about something, and it reminded me of... Um, when you have a set of... Lo so if you have a map of you know, an area, and then what you might be interested in is if you're a mapping, piece of mapping software, um, would be where are the buildings or where are the locations of interest? And there's a, the fallible way to do it, supposedly, uh, is to just, you know, take the regular maps and have someone type, take all that information and, and put it in a format that you can display in your mapping software. But the... Uh, there was an alternative approach using machine learning that I heard about uh, some time ago where you take people's location data and you don't tell the, the software anything about the layout of the town or the, uh, the structures or where people, which, what's the housing areas and what's the theater areas or anything. But if you have enough location data, you can actually ingest that into a machine learning process. And instead of trying to figure out is this person at the supermarket? What you, you do is it, it decides where these nodes are um, just by if people are going to it or not and, and looking at where uh, different groups of people congregate. And then from that, uh, you get this set of nodes which may or may not lay on top of a, uh, you know, if you lay them on top of a regular map, you, uh, they might line up with, uh, with all the places you think are important or they might not. And so it's kind of funny that you see the... Uh, the, uh, the differences between what, you know, a traditional mapper comes up with and what the location data says is the real map. I should find that. That was a, that was an article I was reading, I don't know, some years ago. For but, some uh, stuff, I, I, I think don't it, even know why they bother with manual data entry at all, because, I mean, like, for topographic maps, 
a lot of that you just fly over and with the sort of sensors they have these days you can actually pick up all the elevations and everything mm. so with with a topographical map I don't, now we're in maps with matt where is maps with matt I yeah. didn't, okay, I swear, on I didn't days, set maybe. out to, I was just thinking about machine learning and, uh, for a second there. I didn't mean to jump on uh, the maps uh, topic. Well, the funny thing is, I've actually been looking up my area on Toporama, which is this map service from the government here mm -hmm. that provides you with uh, topographics. Do you find anything so like, interesting? Everything just came together. Yeah. Well, we need uh, we need Matt to uh, get another episode out. Yeah. I want to talk. I I if he wants to talk about lidar, I don't know. There's there's some cool stuff you can do. Terrain oh, yeah. mapping and correlation. I had, uh, uh, lidar is how they've detected a number of old archaeological sites. Indeed. Uh, my my main exposure to it was there was a guy that I used to hang out with in uh, Colorado, and he worked at a aviation company. And the thing that they did was they they had a project where they were putting lidar on the bottom of s small aviation craft. I don't know what what they were. There's a Cessna or something. I don't I don't know airplanes, but they had or I don't know commercial airplanes. They um, you know the private the small uh, aircraft. I don't know anything about them. They, uh, they were doing things like, oh, we want to fly over and we're going to look for archaeological... It was literally that. They were going to look for uh, stuff in South America. It's yeah. kind of like the coolest job you could come up with at the time. I was super jealous. We were always talking about shit like that. And then he was like, yeah, we got a project. Jeez. You got the cool shit, man. But yeah, they have uh, even stereographic. Uh, so you can make a measurement... Um, one of the cool things you, you can do is you can make a measurement with uh, depth to it, and it, it's not just a measurement of the distance, but you can make uh, multiple passes over the same area and then kind of subtract them and see what changed, see if there's something uh, different, like maybe there's uh, you know some rock moved or something like that. Yeah. But there's a, there's a bunch of cool different processes you can do to that data once you have it to try and extract more and more information from it. More than just, hey, here's what the surface looks like. You actually get some pretty cool uh, detail. And then if you're looking for signatures, like, hey, I want to look for the signature of a Mayan gold mine, an Aztec gold mine or something like that. I don't know if they have gold <laughs> mines, but, you know, if you could figure out what, what it would look like, then you can start looking for it. Yeah, it's cool shit. It is. Yeah, I'd like to do that someday. But, alas. <laughs> uh, what close. a slut. Yeah, has anyone talked to Matt? I've, so everyone talks about Matt, but I haven't heard anyone talk to him yet. Is he, uh... I guess he's going to do another episode, so he said, but... Oh, yeah. I'm he's been nagged enough that he will he will do another episode eventually. Consider this further nagging if you're listening, Matt. I want to... <laughs> I think there's some things that he needs to clear up with, uh... With work and life and everything, and he's planning to get back to making episodes next month. I think that's what he said. Aha. Uh -huh. Well, I'll be waiting for it. Yeah. Same here. Yeah, the other stuff I had, I, I want to... Mm, I was debating bringing up some COVID stuff, but I want to keep that off. The, unless you really want to talk about it, I, I was going to keep it off the show. I don't want to talk about that crap. Yeah, I don't either. I don't think it belongs on this show, so... No, it I, definitely doesn't. I, I, I know you have your opinion. I definitely have my opinions on, on everything that's going on. I don't think we need to talk about them. 
So I'm going to strike that for my uh, my rundown for today. Oh, how about uh, how about cell phones? Cell phones. Cell phones. Cell phones. So you did say that you've been listening to Hog Story, so you must know about uh, Carolyn Blaney's new phone. I did not hear their latest episode. Oh, the last episode well, I heard was the one you, you were on earlier. Uh, earlier. That this was week. what uh, Thursday last week. Yeah, I listened to it. Uh, I think I listened to it on Monday. Anyway, do you remember those old bricks that Nokia used to make? Oh yeah, yeah. So she just got herself a new Nokia thirty-three ten. I gotta get a picture of this to see what it looks like. Nokia thirty-three ten. Yeah, just look at her account on. Uh... Oh yeah, you still can't get into NAS, can you? Um, I I woke up the beast because now it keeps sending me emails saying that. Uh, so. It's sending me emails. Oh, here's what you missed. All your friends uh, want you to get back in there. But uh, I couldn't get my uh, my password reset. And so I gave up after trying for like, honestly, probably like two minutes. Uh, Nokia 3310. Yep. Oh, so it's got a new modern screen and Bluetooth. Yeah. That's cool. Does it run KaiOS or something else? Android? No, it's uh, System 30 Plus or something tech specs hey it has 2g connectivity it does <laughs> it only does 4g in china apparently but it has 22 hours of talk time Mm-hmm. java featured <laughs> smart feature os it has a 16 megabyte storage 16 megabytes so if it has 16 megabytes of storage no uh, it'll be have... the 3g version so it'll have 128 it should megabytes Yes, megabytes. Megabytes. Okay, so you can take 64 pictures with your 2 megapixel camera? <laughs> More likely you'd actually put in uh, put in a micro SD chip. Yeah, it looks like you could... This is micro SD card slot with support up to 32 gigabytes. And you can play Snake? Wow, they get everything. That's all you need. Yeah. That's me sitting in the DMV lounge when I was uh, trying to get my license. Playing yeah, so the question snake is, on a is Nokia. this an OTG phone? Is this an OTG phone, or is this, like, a retro nostalgia phone? I think it's like a self-flagellation phone. That's what it looks like. No, what I've got right now is a self-flagellation <laughs> phone. What's a... Okay, what do you have? This pad that I have. What is it? I don't know. I don't recognize that. Yeah, I never heard of it before I got it myself. Dual pad? Cool pad. Cool pad? With cool a w? pad, like cool whip. Cool pad. And it's this uh, flip phone running Android. Huh. I don't see a flip phone. I see it looks like a uh, glass rectangle. Cool pad. What was the number? Cool pad 30 something? No, the one that I have? I don't even know. Hold on a second. I'm looking, it looks like a normal uh, Android phone, is the thing I see. No, mine is definitely not a normal Android phone. It's a flip phone for sure. In fact, I just flipped it open. And sometimes I want to flip it off. Yeah. I had one of the, um, what's Adam's OTG phone? The uh, Go Flip. Go Flip Yourself phone? Yeah. That's my uh, my car backup phone. I don't want to, yeah. 
If we start talking about that, I'm going to start talking about COVID because I'm going to talk about why I don't carry my cell phone anywhere and I don't want to do that. So, yeah, okay. we'll try and pick a different conversation. But this is interesting. At least the Nokia 3310 looks... Uh, I don't... It doesn't look like you can push the buttons with your thumbs with one hand because when you hold it, it looks like, the, for example, if you want to dial zero, if you want to get the operator, you dial zero, right? And so imagine this thing in your hand and you had to push zero with your thumb. I don't think that's going to work. It looks kind of miserable. Well, I had like a classic 3310 and you could definitely dial it with your thumb. Hmm. It might be different because the, the shape is a bit different with the new ones. It actually looks like it, it, it would hurt to operate. It definitely doesn't look as friendly as the original. <laughs> it looks like Wally. Wally. Yeah, the fact that you can't see the individual pixels anymore is kind of uh, is kind of a drag with this new one. Yeah. <laughs> it's also in color. Yeah, what's with that, right? Yeah. Color displays. Yeah. Color displays. Who do you think you are, the king of England? I mean, we keep circling back to our own topics here. Back on color displays. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually super excited about that, uh, the spider thing. So I was watching the YouTube tutorials on how to use it. And so what I'm hoping is that I can get access to the, uh, the driver at some level where I can get a measurement from it and then read it back into my own piece of software. I don't know if they're going to expose that or not, but I'm hoping that they do. It looks like they have a USB... It's like a USB device you plug in. Like I said, it attaches to your screen, and then it measures the brightness of different colors that your screen is generating. Um, but it has a, some proprietary software that comes with it. So, Anyway, for the, the price, it is, it is kind of pricey. Like I said, I, wanted, I, I was thinking, yeah, I could probably send this off. I only need to use it like once, at least uh, for my use, I just want to get through it. So maybe I can send it off to... I can send it to you if you want. You can calibrate your monitor. You get some more use out of it. Just make, just make sure to undervalue the... Uh, undervalue it on the shipping label. Yeah. For the International Post? Yeah. What it, What's the threshold where they start giving you trouble? Five cents. <laughs> okay, so if I have a stamp in there, there's the stamp on the, uh, the corners uh, until yeah. it's canceled... It's, it's still better here than in Britain. I was reading something on a board today, and somebody ordered a bunch of games at, like, a dollar each, but because they still had the original price tags on them from when they were new... Oh, yeah. And talking about games that were, like, over 10 years old at the time, right? Mm hmm So, so uh, UK Customs decided to, decided to charge fees based on those... And the person just had to abandon their their package of uh, old retro games because it would have caught it would cost more than what he paid for them, including the shipping, just to get it cleared through customs. Jeez, that sucks. Yeah. That sucks. So here's how it works over there too. Your uh, your handling fee is. Uh, is calculated into the customs fee and all of that is incorporated into the what gets taxed so you're getting like ripped off three different ways right if you're if you're in britain apparently mm -hmm. is, 
I don't know, like Europe is probably the only place in the world where they get away with taxing you on your taxes. <laughs> the uh, horrible. You're talking about shipping, though, from uh, internationally, right? Because yes. my, my understanding was because of that in Japan, they had a, like if you wanted to go to Akiba and buy a bunch of retro, uh, like, uh, not Nintendo, what, what do they call it? Super Famicom kind of old carts. Um, you can get them cheap, but it's there's some point where it's actually cheaper to buy a plane ticket and actually go to Japan with a suitcase buy all your stuff and then try and get it back through carry-on uh than it is to try and ship anything because you have to pay all the import fees and everything too supposedly if you can keep it in your bag then uh and you don't get stopped well you you just take it back souvenirs i bought souvenirs i think uh i think canada and u.s customs are a lot less uh assholish about it or at least they're more they're more they're more willing to let things slide so long as you declare them, mm-hmm. whereas, whereas with the, getting stuff imported in the UK is like they will find every way to taxi, even if it's all good. And they'll like on on the various taxes and duties, they'll tax that on top. They'll add extra taxes. I need the hired. I need what is George Costanza's job? on uh, so I'm an importer. You know, I import things. I'm an importer, exporter. That was his uh, his uh, meaningless job title he, he would give out to people. I'm an importer. You know, I'm in imports. <laughs> yeah, I think it. I think it's very easy to sum up uh, all these uh, all these import duties and everything. JCD said it best. This is a scam. We're gonna have to get something because that uh, it's coming through Skype, but it's quiet. I can hear it, but. Yeah, get boosted, and I don't want to boost anything in post. I'm pretty it's quiet on my end too. I don't think it. I don't think it's your side. It's my side for the quietness of that. You gotta get some gain in there, man. Yeah, I gotta figure out how to put this on a different, uh, on a different input that I can actually crank it up on. Well, this concludes our uh, our meeting of uh, just. What were we discussing? Just audio stuff all day. Audio, yeah. This this episode's been audio heavy, hasn't it? Yeah, it's uh, it's fun. It's always been a good hobby. I've never made any money on it. Well, I made some money on it, but you know, it never paid for itself. So, very nearly yes, worked at a recording funny. studio. I got talked out of a job. I got a job offer to work at a recording studio, and then the guy talked me out of it. Uh, the way he described it was, the uh, and it was it. It was actually a, a studio that was going to record like rock and roll music. You know, it wasn't uh, like all the ones around here that you see are just kind of like mastering houses. It, you see studios on Google Maps and you go look and it's just some guy's house. It's like, well, shit, I got one in my house too. That doesn't mean anything. I'm talking about like a like an actual place you can record a band. And they had uh, I had this conversation with him where he was talking about whether it was going to work there or not. And he says, well... You have to realize our uh, clientele is garage bands and where we make most of our money is is some of the vanity press stuff. And when I say most of our money, you know, we, we'll caveat that with the fact that garage bands and, and these vanity projects are groups that just inherently have no money. And the record deals are few and far between. So you're, you're looking at, uh, or when they actually have someone who's signed, you know, actually recording a, a commercial kind of album there 
So it sounded like the work was was slow, and he's yeah. So at some point, we're just going to be doing uh, you know high school plays. I said, nah, I don't want to do that. He talked me out of it, even though it sounded like there was some perks to the job. I was, I won. Right. And that was my entire commercial audio career, was getting a job and then not accepting it. <laughs> but I made out better anyway, so. Yeah. They enjoy actually being able to afford having a hobby rather than doing uh, a hobby for my by, uh, my job and never, been a- never being able to pay rent you know eat yeah big right. o big o they oh, have do you li- you listen to uh you listen to Devorah Horowitz unplugged mm, i've heard it but i don't listen to it or tdi for that matter uh apparently somebody has been uh running an imitation account of uh, horowitz over uh, on twitter yeah i saw well i saw that cuz i saw horowitz uh tweet about it it sounded like it's the same Bitcoin. Send me Bitcoins. The bit, the big thing for me though is all these times I've been listening to this show and I keep hearing this end theme, and I enjoyed it, but I had no idea what it was. And today, finally, he uh, finally found it. Although it was a really scratched old version on YouTube, there's a lot of scratchiness in it. Is this the end theme from uh, uh, DH Unplugged? Yeah. Yeah, so that was pretty neat to find. Hmm. I'm going to stick that into the show notes. What's, Apparently what's, what it's song miscredited, it? according to Dvorak. What song is it? Uh, it's My Last Dollar Bill. Oh, yeah, you are playing that before we started. Yes, I did. I thought it sounded familiar. I, I was thinking it was from uh, Fallout or something when I heard it. Nope. I, could, I, yeah. I knew it was from something, but I couldn't put my finger on what. So JCD says it was uh, Ben Selvin Band performing it. But according to the according to the YouTube video, it is uh, Eddie Drosh. I don't know with uh, Dick Robertson doing the vocals. Uh, Dick Robinson's on vocals. Yeah, it must be good. I don't know who the hell that is. How dare they treat a princess like this? Yeah, I'd like to do a music stream. Maybe we'll do that before uh, next episode. Even if it's yeah, just uh, it's... if we get on if we get on uh, stream. I mean. I'm not even sure we need to actually run our own stream. We can just, uh, I don't know, strong arm Fletcher into letting <laughs> us uh, record on his stream. Yeah. I want to I know what I'm doing first. So I'm, I'm definitely going to do something myself before I jump on anyone else's, um, just to get sure. the discipline down. Just yeah. a matter of doing it. I'm definitely looking forward to the point where we are recording live to air and uh, we have a troll room going on harassing us the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, I've had, um, I started out with this idea that I don't want to do any work. I want to do a podcast where we kind of talk about stuff and, uh, then there's no post-production and I'm kind of dead set on that now. I don't even want to cut stuff out anymore, <laughs> uh, which I think we only did once for, for one reason, but I want, I do like the idea is just straight, you do the show, you're done. And there's almost no, uh, post-production at all. It's just like the meta metadata. Well, I do like the idea of putting, like, a little sound clip at the beginning of the episodes. Well, that sounds like work, though. Yeah, What's, it's true. It's work. I'm going to have to put uh, markers in then, because I could do that, like, if there was something I, I could drop a marker on the the waveform, get back to it later. But We'd have to have them, something that actually, like, leaps out at us to, like, that we feel is worth time coding and, and sticking in the front. 
I think it's probably something maybe later when we're even better at this than we are now. Yeah, we got the training. If you couldn't tell this episode right now, if you couldn't tell by this episode, we still have the training wheels on here. Oh, God, do we ever. Yeah. We got training wheels on the training wheels. Yeah. I'm just glad we get the seven. So uh, I think we're talking with your previous podcast now, right? Uh, No, we beat them. So we're longer than two thirds coast cast, which was my the last podcast I did in 2013. We get six episodes in. So we beat it at seven. So this is the longest running Abel Kirby podcast. The shortest one was two episodes. Well, this is my first and only so far. Uh Aha. Other than guest guest appearances. I think we're off to a good start. I think so, too. Yeah. We need to, uh, I'll say this on the show, we need to get the the topic, the rundown order uh, figured out. It's something I always struggle with on here is you come on and I have some stuff I want to talk about and then don't really have a, a sense of how to introduce it. And it's everyone makes it look so easy. That's my my experience now. Like now when I listen to other people's podcasts and they just bring up a bunch of stuff, it's, oh, they introduce they segued uh, very elegantly into things. And uh, I listen to how we do it. It's like, oh, we just kind of. My bet is that they actually like at least swap their headlines on their on their personal show notes ahead of time. Yeah. Well, we, there's there's something we we're going to get better at it. I can already tell just from the last couple episodes we've been doing better, so I think we should shouldn't jinx it and uh we should call it a night. Yeah, put this one probably. up so we can get on to I episode mean, 8. Yeah, we've been going like what Definitely over an hour at this point. Yeah, it's an hour 15. I do like the... Did I say this to you yet? I do like the one-hour mark uh, for the show. Yeah. I don't want to do a three-hour show. I want to do, like, one hour and get through our stuff. Yeah, I don't and, think I'd uh, be able lost. to do three hours. My throat's already getting dry, and I've got the glass of water still. <laughs> what a slut! No, that'd be if my throat was wet. <laughs> what is this garbage? Well, you want to wrap? You'd be speaking mostly moistly all right all right yeah. let's, let's let's wrap uh yeah, this, let's put a nail in it yeah for uh rare encounter i've been abel kirby i've been cold acid insert outro here